Welcome everybody to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham Deweese. I'm back once again with the Soul Man, Brian Solak, and with the Ram, Rich Maxson. We have a very special guest this week, Husky legend from our championship 91 season defensive back, Walter Bailey. How's it going, Walter? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you all doing out there? We're doing great. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You are a hero. To us, to to we the uh, to we the uh, uh, slack jawed couch potatoes who watched you bring glory and uh, and uh, uh, graciousness to this show. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so what what brought you from Portland to UW? Was it? It's got to be the jersey. It's got to be the purple, right? It was <clears throat> really yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> it, it, well, I wouldn't. Yeah, well, actually, it was. It was. Oh, okay. I can. It was. It was the purple. It was the gold. But the thing that sold it up for me was the W, right? The hmm. W. And and I told my my mother, and I think I told my brothers, like that W stands for Walter. <laughs> 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 yeah, I used to really love the way um, back in the day, the old school fishnet, the way they used to look with the kind of shiny in the front, gold pants with the with the stripes. But guys that wore the high socks, but that that jersey, that fishnet jersey hanging mm-hmm. down to the, like their stomach. Uh, it was quite appealing to me back in the did, 80s. And, did, you know. did you do the crop top like uh, Dana Hall did? Well, no, Dana and Shane. And, and Shane Tommy, Balcoa, yeah. Yeah, they would look really <laughs> sexy because they had longer they had longer torsos and I always got made fun of because they said I had long legs, but with my short torso, I was only 5'11" right? Yeah. Okay. It's, it was an excuse to show off the abs, wasn't it? I tried it though. I tried <laughs> my hardest to crop it up and, 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 you know, hem it up and, and all of that, but it didn't work like, like it is doing like for the kids uh, today. <laughs> so, so going back to high school, I was reading some, a little bit of background about your career that you were uh, basically an all sport all sport athlete. You, you, you seemed like you played uh, track and football and basketball um, tell us just a, a little bit about your your sports background growing up and um, what the sports scene was like in, I guess, the Portland area um, when you were a kid. Yeah, well, I can I can tell you from for me, I grew up from from what I was told. I came out of the womb, the womb running. So before <laughs> I could walk, I was already running. And, and so one of my first loves was uh, was track, track and field. So probably by the age of four or five, I was running track. And um, for me, that was, I can just say, because I'm the youngest of um, five boys. So being the youngest sibling, I just always wanted to run around with them. And they, they took me everywhere. But, but track was my first thing that I remember by the age of four or five and, and slowly progressed into kind of playing basketball and some soccer and baseball. Uh, and then football came, right? So football was always there, but I just didn't realize like playing it organized um, in the sixth grade. I wanted to play earlier, but my mother wouldn't let me. But sixth grade, I started playing like football. But yeah, my early days of track, man, it was um, <clears throat> really, really inspiring in the sense of it was uh, something that was I was pretty passionate about. Got to go some places and travel around. And I also wound up having a world record. <laughs> wait, what, what was the world? Wait, what was the world record? There, for nine and under, for uh, 
think it was nine and under for the 800 meter oh wow uh run right and wow. i still i still think it stands at track city i'm not i'm not for certain but i ran like a two minutes and 34 seconds you know so i was what nine eight years old and and ran that so so that was my my first passion but come growing up in portland one of the things the biggest thing in portland was basketball so so basically if you were going to you know be big and do something it was basketball so i love all sports but i was really good at track um it took me a while with basketball and i i, I became pretty good at that but I really fell in love with football, you know, as I got older. So I, I'm curious, what position did you play um, when you when you were a basketball player? Tell us a little bit about your style, because we know about your football style. Yeah. Tell us about your basketball style. Man, I was like, I'm a person that went to the hole, man. So <laughs> I was fast. I could say I had pretty decent handles, <laughs> right? Not, <laughs> I'm not going to say I was Allen Iverson or or whatever but i um yeah i mean i was a person that could get to the get to the hole um i was really fortunate because basketball was a big deal here um but i grew up with uh terrell brandon that went to university of oregon terrell and i played yeah uh, we're the same age we never played basketball organized together we played baseball together but i would play against him almost every day you know after after practice with baseball and and, and, and we were good friends and, and stuff like that. But we also brought up uh, Damon Stoudemire. So Damon Stoudemire was a couple years younger. And we were all, you know, relatively close in the sense of the proximity of where we lived. But, you know, I had, I had some good guys around me. So I learned how to dribble a little bit better. But people probably saw me more of a, of a football player. Uh, than basketball but a basketball I didn't really have a jump shot <laughs> so 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 I worked on that as I got older out of high school probably even when I played pickup ball at like University of Washington at in heck ed and and, and stuff like that the, the IMA <laughs> fantastic so you're more a Clyde the Glide than you were a Terry Porter yeah I was more Clyde the Glide right? there you go. Yeah, yeah uh Rich and I were actually Rich and I were actually talking about uh right before you joined uh, Rich, you were talking about was Oregon an option? The Ducks or yeah, Oregon I was, State? I was curious about. Um, I mean, this is the you know when you were recruited, Huskies were kind of at their apex. Don James at the height of his powers, and Oregon had been in a long slump. I mean, as a school, was it was it a serious uh, a serious uh, destination that you considered? You know, it. it um, I got to be radically transparent. It, it was, it was, it was a no brainer for me. Um, Coach James, uh, the, there was just a mystique about the University of Washington. What I could say is what I did contemplate though, was that I probably could have uh, gone to Oregon. And, and, and one of my thought processes uh, was um, that I would be able to play, I would be able to run track and, mm. and play football. Right. But I could have done that at Washington, but but yeah, that was one, it was one thought of um, the options. I had, I had probably about 20 offers to, to go play at different places. Uh, one of, I think my top three, it was Washington. It probably was Oregon and then Florida. So I did oh, wow. get a chance to go take a uh, um, recruiting trip to Gainesville. And, uh, and that was, it was cool, but after going on that trip and the, 
flights that they had me take because I had never been on an airplane before. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, uh-uh, my parents can't come out here. You know what I'd be like? Yeah. But it was a great opportunity for me to see. But Oregon was an option, and it might have been different, like in the times of the net last 20 years, you know, with Nike U and all of this stuff and Uncle Phil's money. It, yeah. it might have been different, but there was nothing that was going to replace Coach James and the coaching staff and the way they recruited um, and stuff like that. So it, no, I no, no, you're, it, you're, you're a smart fellow. I mean, it was never an op option. They're terrible nah. people, ugly place with ugly looking people, Matt page. I'm talking <laughs> about you, uh, but no, it always rained there, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, actually the Florida, let me uh, ask you this. Were you on the Huskies uh, for the Gator bowl against Florida? I, so I, I transferred in, hmm. I wound up going my first year. I was a prop 48, right? So I didn't come in with the class I was supposed to in, in 1988. So what I did was I went to Western Washington University up in Bell, uh, Bellingham. Oh, wow. I played, yeah, I played a year of football, stayed in contact with the coaches, uh, got, got all my credits, and then I transferred in in 1989. So I was ineligible to play, but I was able to practice. So the year they played Florida, I knew my, like my um, – Tommy Mills was my host when I was out in Florida and and it was really crazy because I didn't get to go to the game but obviously you know I watched it but watching Washington uh handle them and Emmett Smith was somebody that I looked up to and I got to meet Emmett Smith oh wow um, okay cool my, yeah on my recruiting trip and you know my number in high school was 22 so, you know, they lay out the the jerseys and it had 22 yeah. and it had my name on it. I wish I could have taken it, right, uh, when I did that <laughs> recruiting trip because it was my same high school colors. But, yeah, man, that was a monumental game because what it really did, what I, what I knew was practicing. Uh, and I was a little – I was one of those volatile players that came in that I was going to be as crazy as I had to be to get on the field. And, and so what I realized – doing early on in practice I had to make those receivers better when I was on the scout team and so I remember Andre Riley he would get mad at me on certain things like man you gotta <laughs> you know you gotta take it easy and I didn't know I was making him better but the other defensive coaches was like no you gotta prove yourself and yeah no make it was like they were happy to see that I was challenging uh Andre and he performed in Mario and um Orlando uh, McKay okay. and Mark Jones so it was it was pretty cool to see that that game kind of catapulted us into knowing like, hey, we've got we've got something here. And I didn't know it, but I, it made me hungry. Right. I wanted to play and I wanted to contribute. And it was like one of those things. I just wanted to be a part of the team. So um, if you don't mind me circling back to just, you know, your transition from high school to college, you, you were on that, what the prop, was it prop 48, right? They called it prop 48. Yep. So um, I, I, I have a, I guess a, a quick question for you and then maybe a, a deeper question for you, yeah. if you, if you don't mind. So what, I guess, what was it that, that kept you from coming in? Was it the, was it the test scores or was it the grades or a combination of the two? How did that it, work out? It was just, it was just the test score, right? Okay. It was just, it was just a test score. And, and it was, I think for myself, like taking it a few different times, what, what they know is, is that now people that have test anxiety and these different things, there was other ways, not around it, but just to say that 
that's that does not that should not be something that excludes somebody right mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it did and for me what it did give me an opportunity is to go uh to western because that was a great experience for me right to go and play naia football and there's i don't know how many kids got that have probably taken that route but playing nia instead of going to jc what it allowed was me playing that year i still had four years to play or i had four years hmm. but three years to play right mm -hmm. so if you were if it was a jc then you would only have um three years so okay. you could have a red shirt I, I don't know if they even allow you to red shirt but you would only have two years to play right yeah no that's fascinating yes rich because a lot of graduate uh schools in, in the united states no longer have what's called the GRE exam uh, okay. because of the exact, that exact same thing is it's not a good test of your ability to learn. It, it's, was, it's a I good test of follow up with Walter, yeah. um, mm -hmm. a, a little bit of a compliment here. Like I've talked to you, I've talked to other um, players who, who are elite athletes mm -hmm. who also have had struggles getting into college, like getting accepted because primarily there's test scores, not, because of anything else and i'm right. is there is there something it, it seems like it disproportionately affects um primarily minority athletes is there yeah. is there something to that 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 maybe i mean you you i read up on you you work with african-american uh mm -hmm. folks that are that have these problems with uh substance abuse and tough lives maybe their their upbringing isn't right so like maybe you can speak on that maybe maybe i'm putting too much on you i don't i don't no, want to no, do that not at not at all man systemically if you if you if you trace back in history structures that were are in place still to this day are not conducive to people of color and some of the things that happen is if you don't fit inside this box right then you're excluded well, why isn't the box being able to fit the person? And what I what I found out once they um, I was able to kind of get some testing done and really what they found for myself, I just had a learning difference, right? And the learning difference is maybe I don't scholastically uh, do the same things as other people, but maybe I'm more of a visual learner, right? More, I might be more of a, a phonic learner where I hear certain things or whatever. So nowadays they accommodate folks like that so that's the whole thing that i love and, and i'm excited about the times now because when you think about it i played last century so <laughs> last century a kid told me that because i coach high school football right he said coach you played last century i was like wow but now it's tailoring to the youth and young people because everyone all kids are 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 valuable, but all kids deserve the element to know not just that they're special, but they deserve they deserve the opportunity to grow and flourish. So how do we add to them, right? How do we illuminate them and uplift them? And that's the thing. Like I'm so I'm so fired up for for the young people today because they they get it, we and and they uplift each other. If they if a kid knows that he may struggle in an area. Instead of people are like, well, what's wrong or what happened to them? It's like, you know what? Let's figure out a way to be creative 
about continuing to elevate this person. So focusing on the areas of what they are good at. And then the deficiencies are the areas of like, hey, there's just other ways that you tailor it. And I think it's individually based. Wow, that was <laughs> that was a great, great answer. Thanks for sharing so much about that. And then, you know, let's stick on this. Let's stick on this topic for a second here, because I, I'm curious, Walter, how how would you approach how would you approach this now, you know, with the lens with with the hindsight being 2020? How would how would you approach it now if let's say you were a coach in at a university somewhere, regardless of level, you know, um, would you go a little extra to 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 bring some to bring someone in that's uh that's challenged with test scores or um are are the are the pieces in place now to help people i mean like do you think yeah. there's still more work to do i guess that's really what my question is yeah you know that's a great question and and yes man i i even felt like the pieces were in place at the university of washington and i can just tell you for for me and i'm sure we'll we'll cover it some of my uh my, some of my shortcomings um, kind of allowed me to go in a different route to thrive. But even now, they I I believe the the support systems are so much more dynamic. Um, and I'm not I don't want to say when I like I said I don't. It's not even a matter of comparison because I had people that cared about me uh, when I was in school. But now it's it the nuances and the different cultures and and stuff and the way that people are allowed to express themselves um to be themselves like they talk about woke culture and these different things i i really believe also now that the opportunity for young people there's just so much because look at technology right so i really believe with technology that would have been something for me that maybe the way that people like being able to do stuff on video and yeah. there are just really so many creative things nowadays, right? So if I'm a person that's recruiting someone and if they were to say, um, if if we were to look and say, okay, he's on he's on the cusp or borderline or this and that, my thing would, would be before I went to the athlete, it would be how do I go into uh, our program and be like our support set, our, or do we have our supports set up for this type of individual or African-American that could be a possible person that's going to need extra? And so when you know you have that in play, then the reality of it is, is how do you add and build around that individual? Because now it's more individual. And I even can say it was individual for us. But you know how big the University of Washington is. Yeah. So a, a kid can get lost right? A kid can really get lost, but now I think they do so much. It's, it's not that it's different. It is different, but there's more of, I think, a concentrated effort of creating the opportunities for each individual to thrive, because that's the whole thing. It's like football is the illusion sometimes, right? You're there to get an education, but guess what? What if you're really good? What if your team comes together and you're really good? that brings a whole different level and set of circumstances. 
right? Because that happened with us. <laughs> we didn't know we were going to be that good, right? Right, And it happened so quickly, so limelight. Um, team was still big, right? Steam, team was everything that I knew. But I also started to realize these other outside things of people telling you how good you were became distractions. And so now what I can say is there are supports that people can say, if I had a person like Walter, like in growing up or being at the University of Washington, I can't say I would stop or, or impede a person's progress, but I could give the boundaries of like lived experience. Hey, you guys are in the same position, but guess what? This is something that I do. Right. Now, I can't tell you that you shouldn't do it, but what I can say is, do you really want to go in a direction where you have something that you can do it differently and have the success, but you can use me as a reference and a, and a reference point to be like, wow, what Walter gave me was valuable. But at the end of the day, he cares about me because it's not always just telling a bad story, but it's telling somebody, you know what? You don't have to do that. I already did it for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I did it for you. <laughs> well, Walter, how does, how does NIL, so name, image, and likeness, how does that change this whole paradigm do you do do kids now end up in a scenario where schools may be less interested in helping them, or is this just the same old same old? I get a little nervous about it. I I love it. I mean, it's really cool that a a a kid can thrive in situations off their name, image, and name, image, and likeness, and it's so new, right? The scary part for me that I can be honest about is what if there's Walter? What if there's this other person and Walter's the starter, but this other person comes in and, and is hungry, but Walter stays stagnant, but he gets this $500,000 deal or whatever. And this other guy's person coming in is like, man, I'm going to beat this guy out. Well, he challenges Walter. And the next thing you know, he beats Walter out, but he doesn't have the NIL deal. <laughs> right but he's like this guy's got 500,000 that to me could could cause jealousy that could cause so many just different things but Walter has this golden ticket and I don't know I think the University of Washington has something kind of figured out where they try to make it more balanced but but at the end of the day I don't think there's really a cap on it and I think for myself if you do really well it's like it just seems like you're going to get probably more money, right? If you do well or your image. So what is that comparison to offense and defense? Well, look, our, and I don't know the breakdown, but I would say you, when you score a touchdown, you get more, you probably get a little bit more of the roar right. of society compared to getting an interception, right? Unless if you get a bunch of interceptions compared to a touchdown. So offensive players, I probably think, are getting more money or are more elevated when it comes to NIL. And I'm not for certain on that, but it just seems, you know, offensive players, you know, Hey, they're cute or whatever. I guess, yeah. I, I guess I want to tie it back to long ball, right? What's that? Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's just popular. Like yeah, people yeah. love, love scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think regardless of the sport that you're in, mm -hmm. People who would choose a high offensive environment over a low, like over a defensive environment. So yeah. uh, just to follow yeah. up to that, just to follow up to that, I, I guess my question was more about 
the transactional nature of the athlete and the coaching staff? Um, is it, is it now just a business deal or has it always been a business deal in the past? Well, that's, and, and I'm sorry for not answering it. No, no, that's fine. You're you know, adding like, a lot of insight. I love it. <laughs> it's really, I, first of all, I don't know. And if it's becoming transactional, then I'm, I'm really scared, right? Because realistically, and what I can say is what I, I love these, the new coaching staff. I, I just have to give the shout out to Coach DeBoer and the entire staff. What I can tell you what I love the, the most about him is the fact that he, we, we didn't really talk about football. He talked about the history, right? And I've met Coach Peterson and I, and I met um, Coach Sarkeesian and I liked all of them, but Coach DeBoer to me was different in the sense of that human connection. So I believe at the University of Washington, I don't necessarily think that things are gonna be transactional um, at this point, but I don't know. But if it is, if it's transactional, because we're hearing about this around the country, to me, that's that's worrisome because it should be about the love of the game or the institution that you're playing for and your team, right? So if I'm just coming to a place so I can get the most money, that's going to send a red flag to anybody that's a teammate. Because remember, football is a team sport. So if you know you got somebody coming in and they're really all about the money, to me, we're going to want to take that's not really a teammate because we're going to want to we're going to we're going to turn on that person probably. You know, I, I would probably think that would be one of the things. So the transactional piece, it makes me nervous, but more connection of sincerity of purpose of you're playing for an institution. If you do and you do your 111s and you buy into that team thing, I think other benefits can come, right? But if, you, if you're selling your program to be successful and you do it in that way, like I think Coach DeBoer is doing, these guys are going to, I don't know how much money you're going to make, but they're going to do pretty well. Um, you know, this actually brings up a, a thought that, you know, in the, in the nineties, um, the Huskies got sanctioned, um, yeah. by the pack pack 10 at the time, um, pretty harshly. Like, I don't think that any college football program has been sanctioned that harshly since like it was, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty harsh. And in a large part, it was because of the boosters, right? Like the boosters were just like kind of circling around like vultures, right? Mm -hmm. If they went after, um, I think it was, was it Billy Joe Hobart that, that yeah. ended up getting suspended because the boosters had kind of come after him and um, the pickup you know, truck. Really, yeah. yeah. He got in trouble with that. And so yeah. I, I, I have concerns about the NIL, like having the same type of a thing, right? Like, um, it's easy to like, okay, you know, one person gets this big deal and someone else doesn't, but they're just as good. Right. And then mm -hmm. maybe a booster comes in and, you know, slides them a, a stack of hundreds. Right. I mean, I, <laughs> maybe I'm making it over dramatic, but, but I right. worry about, about that type of thing, um, harming, uh, athletes, especially in the, the football and the, and the basketball programs, since that's seems to be where the money is. Like, what, what are your thoughts um, I, having experienced it as a young man and now coaching, you know, uh, football, um, and, and, and young men that might go off to, to play big time college sports. Yeah. I, great question. You, you know, I look at the psychological safety of each individual and the psychological safety is the fact of what about the well-being of these athletes 
And depending on where a lot of kids come from, some kids, especially from, uh, depending on the culture, African-American, you could say Pacific Islander or what have you, you might have some kids that come from nothing. But what I also, what I also realize is sometimes other folks or other individuals that come, these young kids come, some kids come with infrastructure, which means the infrastructure of family and the upbringing and the parents both work and they're together. Well, you're going to have a lot of kids that come with single parents, parent, one, one parent is doing all they can to, to provide for this, uh, for this kid. But the kid realizes like, Hey, when I get, when I get to school, I got to provide for my family. So there are these different nuances that I won't say that are negative. I think what happens with psychological safety is if a kid comes in and thinks that they're going to go to the NFL and they're going to make a bunch of NIL money and then they don't achieve expectation, but they may come in and find that booster because they have one good gear, right? They get attracted to that money. Mm. They get attracted to that one taste of whatever. Yeah. But guess what? After that last game, the last time when your eligibility runs out, guess what you become? You become a number, right? You were the number that last played at the University of Washington. So hopefully they get their education, but that money stops from the booster, depending on what type of relationship you have. Because once you once your eligibility is up and you can't do anything or make a company or an individual more money because of them knowing you, you're no good to them, right? So the psychological safety that I've seen that happened to me, be, but mine was different. I wasn't able to get money. I think there were things that were going on and they did do that, boosters and all these just different things. What people get into a habit or a pattern of exp expectation and once it's cut off, it damages your psychological safety, your psychological well-being as an individual. So some people can gather and work and go on and have a productive life, but you have some people that spin off. They may get into drugs. They may have mental health needs. They may commit suicide. Right? Let's let's talk about that because uh, that's something that happened to you. And we actually had Ryan Leaf on last week, and yes. and he talked and, and he was talking about it, and it just kind of seemed like a scenario where you're disposable as a human being. And yes, you are. How does how can you tell us about your experience with that? I mean, it, it's difficult because. I didn't experience that, you know, and, um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to us didn't, you know, weren't told we were worthless, you know, right after getting a degree, you know, I except in corporate America. Right? Okay. Well, I learned that later, but I mean, <laughs> but, but, but at 22, like I, I, I didn't have to have the experience that you guys did where, where it's like, well, you peaked, you're done. Go away. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, I, I tell you, it, that brings up some emotions for me because through the blood, sweat, and tears for the, the four years that I put in at the University of Washington, um, my unrealistic expectation was what I, what I was able to do was going to carry over to the NFL, right? So that happened for Ryan Leaf, and I'm not sure what Ryan had to say, but that, dis that disposable piece, I can give you the feeling I got hurt in my last Rose Bowl. And I had put a lot of pressure on myself because I didn't have the productive season that I wanted to have during that season. I only had two interceptions, 
I didn't achieve. We still went to the Rose Bowl, right? <laughs> yeah. So to I was be, thinking, to be one fair, game, right? In one game, I'm yeah. gonna make some plays, and I'm gonna all these things. I got hurt early in the second quarter, and I sprained my AC joint. And what I can tell you, I didn't nothing. I was hurt, but I got to watch. We lost. And then after the game, just when the coaches shook my hand and hugged me and was like, thank you for all that you did. Man, it, it, it did something to me, right? It like did something to me. And what I can say, I didn't know what it did to me at the time, but I didn't know it was over for the University of Washington. I, it was over. And so what that meant was I played a year of Canadian football and then football was over. But I was left with all of that stuff of what if or what a, not, and it wasn't what I should have could have either. It was like, man, my brothers, the brotherhood, the family, the discipline, the lack of discipline, the people, the coaching staff, the camaraderie. When that was gone, I was lost. And for me, I spiraled and it was a slow spiral. And then as the time went on, that spiral sped up, but then it turned into a tornado for me. And that tornado meant I was roaring through the lives of people that loved me the most. Even having some kids and me not being there for them during my addiction, right? I had addiction issues and challenges, alcohol challenges, and coupled with mental health, right? So when those things started happening, my parents, loved ones, they had to go away from me because they didn't know how to help me. They were trying to. Giving somebody money is not helping them, right? Even though I'll say I needed some help, that wasn't the right kind of help. So what I learned was I didn't die, thank goodness, but there's a lot of Black men that die by the hands of the police, and they can say mental health. They can say all these things, but men, innocent, black males that people would say they were aggressive, they were just strong and they couldn't be apprehended. So lethal force, we don't do enough research. And I'm just making that a mood point because that is some things that have happened, right? But there's other things with right. alcohol. There's other things with suicide. There's other things that people later on that had success in the NFL that had success with business. But then after a certain amount, this the chase of having the feeling of what it was like in college. There's guys that I know today that are walking skid row that had everything. They might not have gone on to the NFL, but they had a great corporate job. But getting a divorce and then they spin out of control. And I've talked to one of these individuals and they were like, you know what? I was just always trying to chase that feeling that I had when I was in college. That's pretty heavy. That, yeah. Um, I was going to say that with your position now doing counseling um, folks that, that are struggling, it, it seems to me that maybe as a society, maybe again, I'm getting big here, but as a society, we don't do a really good job of helping people have a good mental health foundation that's solid so that when 
crap hits the fan, which it inevitably does, no matter how successful you are, stuff is going to happen that's going to be upsetting, that's going to you know throw you for a loop. You don't have anything to fall back on. You you spiral or you know and you know choose your analogy. Things get bad for you. You don't know how to how to cope with those sorts of things. Yeah. Um. I mean, what what do you think we can do? I mean, I I got four kids. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd like them to not have to deal with that. I kind of spiraled. We'll, we'll send we'll send Walter life. to your house and you can open them. And there you go. Well, here goes some. Here, here's something and and gosh like i i can tell you like because i think i was able to, to uh hear some of ryan Leaf's story and we 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 parallel in a lot of uh, a lot of areas but what i what i'm trying to do now i used to counsel for 10 years of my professional career now i'm a i'm a policy analyst uh for the state of oregon so so now i i help um programs to implement um, implement mental health and substance use treatment throughout around the, the state of, of Oregon. So so now it's the health now is I don't do the direct services like I used to, but now on a broader scale, being able to help uh, people of color and 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 different um, uh, uh, cultures that have been impacted uh, by the war on drugs. Um, and then also that have been socially impacted um, with not being able to uh, kind of just get their just due. And so what that means for me is, you know, when I look at cer certain things, what I'm doing in my private business is trainings, right? And my trainings are going to be for high school coaches. So the trainings are this. It's a part of my experience, but something that I love about myself that I was able to do, and it's uh, I'm a subject matter expert on this with mental health and substance use, but it's but it's it's peer work, it's peer coaching. But this peer coaching gives you <clears throat> a scenario of of it's a <clears throat> it's components, right? So you have mixed in there, you talk about suicide, you talk about relationships, you talk about mental health. You talk about substance use, but then we talk about worldview, right? Worldview is huge, right? Because we always want as coaches, and I am a high school football coach, and I've noticed it for the last two years with even the great coaches that I coach with, but our worldview when we coach is one way, right? So when it's one way, you're expecting a young person that is an individual to fit inside of your box. Well, when they don't fit inside of your box, what happens? Well, you push that kid to the side because you feel like you can't help them. That's when we have to ask for help. And asking for help is like, hey, I wish there was a way that I could relate to this kid, but hey, how do we come together collectively, right? And so asking each other questions, giving people information and educating people about substance use challenges, educating them on mental health. The thing is, with these trainings, people are not going to be experts. You're just going to have an awareness, right? You're going to have a better awareness to be better as a coach, to be better as a mentor, and at a, as an individual that works with young people. So one of the things that I always think about is, how do we look at the humanness of our connection with young people? It has to be individually based. 
And building something individually based means it's going to be wrapped around that individual. So I love that. My thing was, I used to always tell people what they can't do, right? Now today, I help people to realize what they can do, right? And that's what we have to do. We have to pour in to these kids and young people. We've got to love them up, right? I am a professional cheerleader is really what I'm great at, right? I like to really give kids love to let them know that, man, being young, it is, it's, it's the highlight of your life, but to, it's okay to be young. Now, when I was young, I always wanted to be older, right? I want, because I had older siblings. So encourage them to be young, but encouraging them to speak out. As young people, guess what we do as adults? We don't listen to them because as parents, we always tell kids, nope, you're going to do it the way I want you to do it. And it, there's no other way. Well, guess what? That happened when I was younger, but I realized I went away because I started to lie. <laughs> to get my needs met, I can lie. So kids need to know that they need to be heard. But as adults, can we take a step back? Even if we don't want to hear what they say, we have to listen. Because if you don't listen to them, they're going to go the other way. So, you know, these things that I love is not only just the teachings and the training, but the upliftment and then the pouring in to young people. Because for me, I realized that's the need is how do we keep young people engaged, but how they are the most important thing. And sometimes if we see somebody going off script or going down a different road, the easy thing is to love them even more. It's not that you're changing them. You're loving them even more instead of saying, oh, that's just a bad kid. Because here goes the thing with trauma. You never know how a kid has been traumatically impacted, right? So instead of saying what's wrong with the kid, why can't we say, man, maybe something happened to him? or them, or they, or her. Yeah, that's very fascinating. A lot of what you said actually echoes with, uh, we had a guest, uh, uh, Senator James Edwards, former Supersonic, and yeah. he, he hit a lot of points that you just touched on. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to ask you this question because I asked it of him. Um, and it, it was, it's just, you know, you're, or I'm sorry, Donaldson, sorry. Thanks, James Donaldson. John, uh, my yeah. apologies. Um, he went to UW too that played basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy. Uh, anyway, let me get back on track here. Uh, the the question <laughs> is uh, okay. So uh, you're talking you're, you're talking about kids who are uh, you know brought into uh, a hyper competitive mode, and you can't show weakness. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're out there, you know, on the football field, baseball field, you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, how do you, how do you recognize when someone is having a, t a toxic, uh, 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 something's going on in their life, but they're not showing like, I mean, I mean, are there triggers or there like warning signs or there, uh, you know, what, what, what do you do without like overstepping bounds and with, uh, you know, without, uh, um, you know, emasculating somebody. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a nicer word for it, but yeah. you know, it. Yeah. Well, here goes, here goes the, the, here goes the thing. So I work full time. So when I coach at, at high school, um, I am basically an outsider, but we have coaches, which are half of our staff that are like social workers that work inside the school. Right. Mm. So what I get to do, because I have a skill set of my professional 
background that I can see that when a when when a student athlete is in need. And I'm not saying the need is like like immediate, but I can see a pattern of behavior. So being a subject matter of expert, I know how to go up to a kid and be like, hey, it's just a, it's just an extra way of being able to care for them, which is motivational interviews. So for me, I can just ask a series of questions. And my basic thing is it's what I see other adults or other coaches, the the way they interact, and then I can see it. And it's so crystal clear because you're knowing that they're trying to do something right. But sometimes as coaches, guess what we'll do? We're, we will tear down a kid without building them back up, right? So when I see that, I don't go and correct the actual coach. I will go to that, to that student athlete, and then I'm like, hey, is everything okay, right? And then pull them aside and be like, no matter what, you are loved and cared for. And I believe in your ability. No matter what happened today, you're going to be better. You're going to have a better day. So I am not really able to do like, um, because of, like I said, the insiders work in the school, I'm the outsider. But that's why I think trainings are important. But the big thing is, as coaches, we have to understand how do we, how do we come together and be able to adjust our worldview and be vulnerable enough, right? Be vulnerable enough. Because if we can show that we can be vulnerable, maybe a kid can be vulnerable, right? So that's the whole thing is putting our ego to the side and really deeply care on the individual base, right? For the young people. So with younger kids, they love me because I love being a kid. Even <laughs> though I'm not a kid, I can, you know what I mean? It's like I get in and I can try to, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm a kid, but I can be childlike to relate. But it's it's one of these things of you have to build trust, right? If you build trust in a young person, it's a matter of time and they will tell you everything, right? And um, so it's, it's an art form, but that's the thing. It's like, I'm not trying to get them to tell me all the problems. My thing is, how can I let you know you're important? But if there's something that you can change that you can work on so you can be better, that's my that's my goal is to look at certain certain strategies to help that individual to elevate them, themselves because I don't like to look at problems because pro solving problems makes it seem like something is it makes it seem to the kid that something is bad yeah. when you do that then you get pushback so it's a it's a growth opportunity so I look at growth opportunities with kids um two things first I just talking with you, Walter, I never would have guessed that you had a decade and a half of really rough life. Like there's yeah. no way, no yeah. way. <laughs> like it's impossible that, that, that you, I mean, I'm not trying to dismiss that. It just, there, there's no way just talking with you that I would ever know that without having read up on the background. And two, I love the passion that you have for for what you do. It, it just comes through in a way that 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 just it's so genuine and I and I and I love hearing this. But oh, I, I think the simple answer what you're trying to tell us is that it's leadership. It's a lot of it is leading leading the people that you work with and mm -hmm. and um 
I, I don't know. I, I, I watched a, a little, a little clip from uh, coach Krzyzewski, uh, coach K's. Um, I think it's like a masterclass on leadership. He's like, talks about it. Like leadership's like the most important skill set that our society needs, but it's the, it's the one that's never taught because no one goes and takes a class on leadership usually like that. That's right. <laughs> and, um, uh, but that, I guess that kind of segues, uh, Abe, are you, are you okay if we transition a little bit more? Oh, we're going to we're gonna talk football. We're going to talk some football. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> we got 10 minutes left. Let's talk a little coach. football. <laughs> You're a coach, Walter. And I hear this a lot in, um, sports yeah. and it's this like back and forth of like tactics and system matter. Mm-hmm. Tactics and system don't matter. It's all talent, right? Like it's like talent on one side and like tactics or your offensive or defensive system so what how do you feel about that being being a coach in in a high school environment oh tactics or systems <laughs> i mean like okay you know think think of your 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 uh, 90s huskies right yeah it's mm-hmm. like blitz all day like if the right. other team crosses the line of scrimmage you all are getting benched basically mm-hmm. um kind of right out the <laughs> remember the titans kind of a deal right but right you know, like, how do, how do you, how do you balance that? Like, what do you, what do you do um, for, for, as you coach, how do you go about doing that? That's, that's a really complex question, but, but the, the good thing about that is like, to, I, I don't like viewing things because, because for me, I will project like championship, like, (laughs) winning and performance because I've been pretty lucky you know like we finished third this year but like my first year back coaching in 13 years we won the state championship but what I can say tactics tactics I I I think coaching there's coaching has changed it's relationship Mm -hmm. but it's also the buy-in to technique right um sophistication there's a lot of sophistication now so there's complexity to coaching (laughs) like these high school kids that can really be almost at a college level and so the nuances of the game have changed the game hasn't changed right so as a defensive back okay there's some some different nuances of what you can practice and do that you see all these creative footwork but the game of x's and o's do not change the line of scrimmage and certain things it's either you want it or you don't right that's what i look at either you want it or you don't but there are these different nuances right to coaching like offensively the different strategies and different the passing there i would have loved to be a db now right <laughs> you know i mean like i might get burned but i know i'm gonna have a ton of interceptions but guess what you see i see some great defensive backs but they don't get the interceptions right but these kids, you know, they're in great position. You look at their grades. They have all these different types of grades of um, what passes defended. Then you do have the, the PBL or the passes broken up, the PBUs. Right. Um, but, but think about it. I played 12, one of my best year at UW, right? I had eight interceptions, seven in the regular season, but we played 12 games, right? So people was like, wow, you had that many interceptions. Well, it, yeah, it's because, I don't know, it was like I I wanted to do something because of the nuances that we had. Yeah, we blitzed, but guess what we did? The coaching staff built around the players, right? 
you they built the system around the players of what we had. We had guys undersized on the outside, right? We didn't have six five and six six DNs. We had dudes that were six two, six three, but they were running like a four three or four four. And they were strong and getting off the ball. You're not going to be able to be a tackled and get back on those guys, right? Then you have Steve Entman, right? <laughs> Up the middle. Yeah. So so pick your poison. You got these dudes screaming off the end, and then you got this bull coming up. So what I look at is the X's and O's have changed. Um, and there's more, there's more philosophy, there's more nuances, but the game doesn't doesn't change. Um, but like I said, like the the, the creative ideas of how people do drills and, and stuff that has that has changed. But the game for defensive backs is really cool to see. Like you can see these guys in perfect position and stuff. And I just want to see guys start making more plays. But it's it's fun to watch to see like, wow, I would be out of position, but my athletic ability, right? So I'm trailing on the play. They throw the ball and I pick it off, right? Well, now guys are in position, should make the play, but they're right there. So it's kind of like what people want to see is um, these these different nuances that is it's hard to explain it, but the, the technical aspect of football has um, has really grown, like the technicality of it. Okay, let's talk Taking about the the let's talk about that athleticism. Nineteen ninety one, uh, you rose to the occasion, punt intended, against Mike Pulaski and the Cal Bears. He threw a long bomb, and you knocked it away. Take us back to that day, that time. Was that just you, your sheer athleticism, or or did you know something was up? I, you know, it's funny, and I'm so glad you asked that question because every time with all the guys when I'm together, guess what they tell me? They was like you should have taken that 99 yards <laughs> because, <laughs> because I knew it was, I knew what they were going to run. I, I, it was going to be a post corner because they had to get in the end zone. So I basically ran the route. I, I knew what they were going to do. My thing was, yeah, it looked like I knocked it down. But if you look at the clip, I was really upset because I should have picked it off at the one yard line. And Coach James would have wanted me to run out of bounds, but I would have <laughs> ran it all the way back there, and it just went through my hands, right? <laughs> so I wouldn't say that that was athletic ability. That was just more of a read of knowing that um, the game, it wasn't that I knew just because the game was on the line, but we wanted to win, but I knew what they were getting ready to run. And uh, unfortunately, I'm still kicking myself because that should have been a 99 <laughs> yard well, return. Earlier in that game, yeah, I did. Get um, an there in was game. there was a bit of deja vu. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I I can't remember the Cowles running back's name. Was it Mike White? There I, was um, Russell White, and then there Russell. was Lindsey Lindsey Chapman. It was White. White um, does a zone a zone. I think it's a zone a zone run. To, I think it's to the right. He puts his foot in the ground, splits your defense, and runs right down the middle of the field mm -hmm. undisturbed you know some 70 yards you must have been having a little bit of deja vu because the year before ucla did the exact same thing yeah and i mean really cost you a chance to win a national championship two years in a row how like how do you respond to that sort of a thing like oops yeah. you guys got caught doing the same thing in the biggest game of the year mm -hmm. How how do how do you deal with that as an athlete? Well, that's that's um, it's it. First of all, it's a great question. One of the things 
when we look back, when I talked about the nuances of the game changing and the style of play, you know, blitzing, they're playing that aggressive type of, of defense. You will allow yourself to be vulnerable. And all it is is how do they catch us um, in, 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 <laughs> in a switch or how do they catch us in one of those vulnerable spots? And that's what they did. And in fact, Russ, that wasn't Russell. That was Lindsey Chapman. Was it? Okay. Yeah, it was Lindsey Chapman. But what happened was after that 65-yard run, Ben O'Brien comes back and runs. Yeah, it was the exact yard. same play that right. Bino ran on him. Right. But, what, but, this is, but this is something that is really important of what you said. The year before, we're playing UCLA. Brian Brown runs 80 yards, right? We didn't have a person on the field, right? We didn't have, I think, because I talked with Chico Fraley about this and he made, he made a bad read and he's still mad about it. We're still mad about it 35 years later, yeah. but I think we only had 10 men on the field, but what happened and but what happened for us, I told Chico, there was something that happened. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Chico and I late in the game. Um, uh, gosh, what was the quarterback's name? It was Scott LaChapelle was a receiver. They had Brian Brown. And I can't think of the name of the quarterback, but Chico and I had a combo call. So I was on dime. Um, they had like three or four receivers in. So I had the inside guy. So Chico and I hit our face mask and I knew La Chapelle was inside. So I should have just, I had the combo, but I should have just stayed because then Chico could have just taken the guy coming in and I would have, I, cause I was daring. I was going to, go for the interception and they they ran that and Chico had to run underneath the guy caught the ball and got the first down so that to me it was I take full responsibility because I was like I could have called that off right and then I could have stepped in front of it so if that would have been the case just an interception or knock it down we might have won that game and then we could have been you know two times uh two-time national championships national champions but those are just kind of some of the things like you know what i mean like we talked about it it's like i will never do that again i will make the safe play like i know that's a receiver why would i have a linebacker on the inside trying to run that far away with that receiver right yeah. so we learned <laughs> rich why did you why have you had have you had this building up for 30 years <laughs> Why are you making our guest explain himself to you? No, no. You are an, you're, you're one of those type of fans, aren't you? Explain yourself, Walter, 30 years later. I got to go to that Arizona game yeah. when he kind of went off and like dominated everyone on the field. Um, that was, of course, I couldn't see anything. I was, I was right behind the Arizona bench, but, um, <laughs> and their players wouldn't sit down. I don't know why, but, um, no, that was a great game to watch. You know, Walter, I'm not letting this ungrateful fan be have the last question. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a perfectly sensible question. Um, Sweet B, where did that nickname come from? You know, I don't. It was it was weird. I don't. I don't know. Maybe my brother. Um, I sweetness, right? I Walter Walter Payton, Payton yeah, right. And and so one of the one of the fun parts about uh, the University of Washington, like once we just had these different nuances of individuals. Right. And I, once I got there, I just became, um, I became this, this, this entity of whatever it was. And I was, I was just a fun loving guy, but we, we had these just different illuminating personalities. And one of the things that I always loved was that we all had our own individual nicknames and, 
and all these things. So I couldn't be sweetness because that was Walter Payton. So I said, well, why don't I just be sweet B, right? <laughs> so, you know, being sweet B, that was one, that was one of my um, many nicknames. And <clears throat> I just remember, you know, um, all of us having nicknames, but the sweet B things, it was something that kind of resonated because my family started calling me dad and, and just different um, things. But yeah, I think it just originated from the fact that I knew I wouldn't be Walter Payton. So I had to be my own individual. <laughs> where, where can, where can people find sweet B on the, on the internet or on the social media? Well, on social media, they can basically, you can, you can follow me as Walter Bailey. I, you can get me on, on, on every, uh, well, not every, but like Instagram and Facebook. Now my business is called dynamic athlete solutions. So www dynamic athletesolutions.com and be looking forward to uh, trainings coming to you for all high school coaches. So I'm excited about it. And um, I think my biggest thing is how can I give a little piece of myself uh, to young people? Because it's all about young people for me. It's like uh, the legacy I want to to have on, on a young person is this person gave of himself, right? And that's that's uh, that's important for me to say because there were so many people that gave to me, right? And so that's uh, uh, super super important. And uh, you know, I've been I've been hoping that I can can meet up with with Ryan Lee, but I also work uh, do some um, some work. And Shane Palacoa will be uh, oh. doing oh cool uh, some things with me as as well. So Great. it's just one of those things, man. Like um, how how can you be better? Right. How can you be better? And and sometimes oh, I just want to be able to pour in uh, to young people, because when people um, do certain things, especially with sports, I, I just gained so much in sports. But I also realized that sports can also it can change. Right. So I always want kids to know that there is an option that it can you can utilize the platform of any sport and elevate you in your life. And it never has to be negative, right? So like I always say, I want to be the border, right? I want to be that guardrail for people. Like you don't have to ever go through uh, what I went through. Because awesome. I already did it for you. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> right. Really love your, really, really love the uh, journey and, you know, where, where you've, uh, where you've come and what you've become. It's amazing having you on the show. We always like to finish with a shout out. So that's kind of my shout out to you, Walter. Uh, but I'm going to do another shout out and that's going to be to my father who uh, they just reopened the, uh, the, the home that he's at so he can get visitors now. So I'm going to try to make my way down there. Um, uh, Rich over to you for a shout out. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with the father topic. I'm going to give a shout out to my father. He uh, turns 82 on Saturday and hopefully we'll have an interview with uh Husky legend Walter Bailey to listen to. <laughs> so, um, but, Brian, but seriously, it's, it's okay. been a, it's been a pleasure. And, 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 uh, I'm just, I'm just so happy with how happy you are with, with where you're at. So that's, that's yeah. such, such a great thing to see. That's it. And I'll give a shout out to oh, my yeah, daughters. Ahead. I just want to give a shout out to my daughters because I never knew what I possessed inside. Um, and when you have two beautiful girls that say that they love you, 
it is the most amazing thing. They are the most precious gifts ever. And for you guys, I, I just want to shout out to you guys for just oh, being, uh, being yourselves and allowing me to share space with you all. Awesome. Soul Man, did you want to shout out before we sign off for today? Yeah, I'll keep it short, but uh, thank, <laughs> shout out to you, Walter. What amazing show out. Your passion is so infectious. And man, thanks for after 91, I blocked out any Husky memory because I became a Wazoo <laughs> Coog, but... Ah, we couldn't go one show without a Wazoo reference. <laughs> you, did generate, you did generate some wonderful memories because me and my father went to many games growing up, so thank you for that. And yeah. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say woof. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham Dewey, on behalf of the Soul Man, Brian Solak, and the Ram, Rich A. Mikeson. And our very special guest star, Walter Bailey. I'm sorry, that's 91 NCAA uh, football champion, Walter Bailey. Thank you for joining us this week. Check out our podcast at seattlesportsunion.com as well on Captivate FM. And at, check us out on Twitter at Seattle Sports U. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>